This is our sixth class, and tonight we're looking at uh, conducting the Bible study. I'm just getting some, they got multiple screens up, so I'm just moving some things around here. Uh, <clears throat> In our previous classes, uh, we talked about the need for personal evangelism in our first class. Uh, we talked about what is personal evangelism and who should participate in our second class. Uh, we talked about making the approach and setting up a study in the fourth class. And then last week we talked about different teaching methods. And tonight we're looking at the first part, and I've, I've divided this into two sections. And this is the first part on conducting the Bible study. Uh, as I mentioned last week, uh, we have a gospel meeting starting next Tuesday, or starting next, starting on Sunday, I should say, and running through Thursday. And so next week's class will be pre-recorded. Uh, Lord willing, I'll pre-record that tomorrow. Uh, but it will still be available, uh, obviously, at the same time. I'll check with Ted. I don't remember exactly how that works, if it plays uh, just in the mainstream, if it plays here in the class as well. I don't recall how that works. Uh, but I'll let you know and send everybody out, send everyone an email too, uh, just to let you know. Well, that class will be pre-recorded uh, because of our gospel meeting. Tonight we're looking at conducting the Bible study, and this is coming from, I love our material tonight, it's coming from the book by James Bales, uh, written, this book is written back, copyright 1967. And so Brother Bales has changed his idea on a few things, so I'll try to give a time frame when this was written. I don't know when he changed his views on marriage and divorce. I don't remember like years and things like that. And so I'm not sure if that affected what he did in evangelism or not. Good evening, Chuck. Good to see you here this evening. Uh, but anyway, this is from his book. It was written back in copyright 1967. Uh, it's no problem, but you don't have to apologize. As I mentioned to Raju earlier, it's raining and thundering and lightning here. So if, if I disappear suddenly, that's probably why. I'll just reboot and get back on. But just FYI, if that happens... I will get back on, but I'll probably take five minutes or so if that does happen. Uh, but I think everything actually, with the exception of my sound system, my computer and stuff is battery backed up. But anyway, uh, just kind of giving you a heads up in case that does happen. And uh, we're looking here at, uh, we're looking, as I mentioned here, uh, a lot of our information is going to be coming from Brother Bale's book, James Bale's book on evangel evangelism called Every Member and Every Day. And so we're looking at tonight conducting the, conducting the study. And this is our first uh, part of this two-part uh, session on conducting the study. And we will begin, um, well, before I forget why I'm thinking about it, uh, I think I sent out everyone, sent everyone the slides and outline from last week. I know I did it late. It seems like every time I tell you I'll do it right after class and I get distracted or, for, or do something else and I forget. But I think I sent it out to you a day or two later. If you don't have it, let me know either in chat box or through email later. Uh, I want to make sure everybody gets everything. Okay, so our first point tonight in way of introduction is how we are, should not disagree or we should be able to disagree uh, without being unkind. Okay, Chuck said you did not get it. Okay, Raju, let me know if you got that or not from last week, and I'll just I'll just send that out when I send it out tonight. Uh, so disagree. He says, did be able to disagree without being unkind. 
Uh, you know, that's something that we have to work on, especially even not even just in evangelism, but in, in everyday communications with our brothers and sisters in Christ, be able to disagree without being rude. Uh, sometimes, it seems sometimes some of our more liberal brethren like to make little jokes when we try to defend the truth. And so it can be very hard for us sometimes not to get upset and not to uh, to, to make sure we are still cordial. Okay, or I'll just send those things out uh, this evening, Chuck and Raju. I'll make sure everybody gets them against it. Uh, but we want to make sure we be able to disagree without being unkind. He says one of the first things we need to learn is to disagree without being unkind and disagreeable in attitude. He says although some people think anyone is disagreeable if they do not if they do not agree with them. We need so to conduct ourselves that they are without excuse if they so view us. Uh, what he's making here, he makes an excellent point here when he says, although, so, although some people think anyone is disagreeable if they do not agree with them, meaning that they think that we're unkind just because we disagree with them. Uh, you know, we present a lesson, any lesson from the Bible, I've, long, I've said for several years, and I haven't been preaching very long, but I've said... I think probably since the very beginning, anything in the Bible is controversial, and so anything in the Bible can be can be viewed as unkind to people. You know, teaching that baptism is indeed necessary in order for a person to have salvation and to have heaven as their home, uh, that is unkind for some people. They think, well, you're being rude. Well, if that's what the Bible teaches, and long as you're singing in love, then we're not being unkind. We're just telling you what simply the Bible teaches. But as he points out here, some will think we're being unkind just because we disagree with them. But we need to be able to disagree without being unkind, especially in our Bible studies. Avoid leaving the impression that you are critical of everything the prospect believes. Uh, let me back up here. Raju says here, many get angry when coming to disagreeing with someone. Uh, you know, I think anyone can be guilty of that, Christian or non-Christian, because we're not perfect. Uh, but, you know, we have to make sure that we're not getting angry, that we make sure that I think one of the best ways to do that and to keep not only ourselves calm but others uh, cool is by answering questions and comments and things such as that, not with, well, I believe or I think, but instead of replying with, well, the Bible teaches in this book and this chapter and this verse, and then people are still unkind with us, as long as we say those things in love, then, you know, we have nothing to be ashamed of. We're just telling them what the Bible teaches, and they need to maybe, well, we need to keep them in our prayers if they're unkind to us. But we need to make sure we're able to disagree with them, disagree with their false ideas, without being unkind or rude. Uh, he says here, avoid leaving the impression that you are critical of everything the prospect believes. We don't want them to think that we're critical of everything that they believe or overly critical you know when some when we're talking with someone in a bible study you're going hopefully you'll learn a lot about what they believe and how they feel on certain topics and we want we want to be paying attention and listening to what they're saying they believe without being uh you might say i really think well, i'll read this point i think of the idea of, of not being arrogant when you hear their uh, hear their beliefs that you disagree with uh, make sure you're not don't come across as haughty. His third point in the way of introduction is it is unnecessary to challenge every erroneous statement. I kind of agree and disagree with this point here. Uh, 
I think it really depends on the statement that is being talked about. Uh, we have to remember also, if we're in, if we're starting a Bible study, remember what you're. If you know what you're going to be talking about in the future, then you don't have to address it right then. You can wait till you get to it in that study later and address it then, and not have to do it right that second. But there's something maybe that uh, isn't going to be addressed because maybe it just doesn't fall in a category of your studies or your plan for that study, then you might address it. But you have to make sure, again, that you're being kind and do not come across as arrogant or harsh. Uh, too many Bible studies have, have ended quickly because of things like that. Okay, our next, our first main point in our lesson this evening is let them speak. The study should be a conversation, he says, and not a monologue. And, you know, that's an excellent point as well. It's just like in any Bible class. Of course, you know, in some Bible classes you have, you can ask the, the auditorium or those present uh, questions, and then you hear nothing. You know, you could hear a pin drop because no one's going to say anything. Uh, but we should try to make sure in our Bible studies, like we do many times in our Bible classes, that we that it is a, a two-way street, and that there's uh, speaking on both sides. I understand some Bible classes are lectures, uh, but but with a Bible study, it shouldn't be a lecture or, as he says here, a monologue. Uh, it should be a two-way conversation. If the prospect does not do any talking, you may not be speaking to his actual need. Now, he says his actual need, uh, the person, the prospect's actual need. Um, you think about this idea that if we're talking, if we're doing all the talking, we may not be, you think about this, we may not be speaking to them about something that, which they're interested in. That's not to say they don't agree or disagree with you, but they're not willing to even, if they're not willing to even, you know, say anything about it, then... It might be something. Might be something else. It's like the uh, individuals I studied with in Fiji. One of the individuals I studied with, I was. I had this very same thing came up. I was talking about some things, and they didn't really say much. Of, you know, have asked them to have any comments or questions or anything, trying to keep it as a conversation. They didn't. So I brought the. Uh, somebody asked the question, well, "What do they do?" Because they were Methodists. I said, well, "What do they do in the, in the Methodist church when a person wants to be saved?" Actually, I think. Let me back. I think I asked them. I said. Do do Methodists baptize infants? And the, and they said yes. And they asked, you know, uh, I said, well, I mentioned, you know, how I believe it's Ezekiel eighteen nineteen and twenty it talks about the son should not bear the guilt of the father, the father should not bear the guilt of the son, uh, but each person should bear their own bear their own load. That is, each person should bear their own sin. So I was talking about how uh, children do not have any sin, so they have no need to be baptized. But I also asked about the method of baptism. And that really spurred some questions and comments. So you get to speaking to something you might say they're interested in. Not that you shouldn't be talking about other things as well, but sometimes that will kind of get them going, and they're willing to talk about more things. Once you get people talking about a topic they're interested in, it's also easy to get them talking about other things which previously maybe they didn't say much about or haven't made any comments about. So sometimes you have to, to look for something that's going to get them talking uh the third point here he he says is you may learn something and i think that's true uh not necessarily from the information that you present but you may learn something about some ideas that, that some of the dominational world has or some of those who maybe who do not attend a domination you may have to learn something about how they view the church or the bible in general so there's a lot of things you can learn from the bible study 
He says, do not appear bored. Uh, you know, you don't want to... You don't want to start yawning. You don't want to... You, you don't want to appear bored. I mean, that's... I don't know how... He says it great. I don't know how to better phrase that. Uh, number five, he says, guide the conversation to where it needs to go. Um... If you know what it means here in the in the state, I don't know if Raji has heard this before. We call it when someone who is doing a Bible class or doing a sermon, and they kind of go off on a whole different point that has nothing to do with their topic. We call it chasing rabbits. They go off in all these different ways, areas, talking about different things. And so we have to make sure that we guide the conversation, that is, guide the study, to where it needs to go. You make a few comments, short comments or whatever about what it is they're talking about, but make sure you come back, you come back to what it is you need to be studying or what you're trying to study with them. Uh, don't let them take over and the guy the conversation somewhere doesn't need to go. Uh, especially this day and time, it could go to politics and you don't want to spend all your time there. The next point he has here is test thinking. That is, test what they're thinking. Test how they feel about certain things. And uh, the first one he mentions here is rejecting conclusions. He says, rejecting the conclusion because we do not like it. What is the difference between this and judging a tree by its fruits? And so rejecting conclusions is the idea they reject something simply because of what they reject, for instance, that everyone was immersed in Acts 2.38. They reject the idea that for the mission of sins... It actually means for the mission of sins. Maybe they believe, well, it actually means because of, because if they accept it's for the mission of sins, they would have to accept that baptism is necessary for a person to have their sins washed away. And because of that conclusion, they reject the teaching. And so some will reject the conclusions because of the teachings. Uh, you know, whenever you have a Bible study, you lead up to things. You know, we talk about authority, you lead up to authority. Authority leads up to things. It leads up, for instance, up to worship. It leads up to proper leadership in the church. It leads up to what is taught in the church. And on and on it goes. Uh, next is interpretations. He says, assuming that your interpretation of a passage must be right, if the other person is uncertain as to its meaning. Uh, some, and I think this is kind of a, some of these, I think, apply really to to the person you're studying with, but also I think sometimes just for people in general. And he says this is from Christian Contend for Thy Cause, and this is some of the fallacies. He says one of the authors has discussed certain fallacies, and some of these are rejecting the conclusion because we do not like it, uh, assuming that your interpretation of a passage must be right, if the other person is uncertain as to its meaning. Uh partial views, that is, jumping to conclusions or forming hasty generalizations. Some take a partial view and think it is the total view. And so that is kind of, you know, the idea really, they have half the truth and they take it and they run with it to a different direction. Uh, for instance, someone saying, well, the, the Holy Spirit fell upon the apostles. And they say the Holy Spirit fell upon the house of uh, oh, the house of the gent, the brother of the Gentile. I want to say it's Nicodemus. I may have the wrong name. I don't mind it stuck in my head. And to show that the, the gospel is going to the, to the Gentiles now, and they might take that and say, "Well, see, it's falling upon them, so it also falls upon us today." Well, that'd be a partial, 
that'd be jumping to a conclusion after just a partial view. And so different, sometimes people take a, a point and, and just, they don't know the whole truth. Uh, good things and bad labels is what I call this. He says a thing is discredited because someone has attached a bad label to it. That is, maybe you teach, you're, teach, you're talking about, for instance, uh, worship. You're talking about singing. And you talk about how it's a cappella without instruments. And because someone has attached a, a bad idea to it or a bad label to the idea of a cappella singing, like it's boring or that it's outdated and it's horrible or whatever, well, they take something that's good, something that's right, according to the Bible, and they attach a bad label to it. And some, some things, against the reverse here, bad things but good labels. Uh, again, use the same idea as mechanical instruments. Well, it may be sinful, we know it is, but some will attach good labels to it. Well, you know, it's we it's it's so exciting, it's so emotional, it really helps our worship, and that's their opinion. And so on and on it goes. So you have good things with bad labels, bad things with good labels. And some of this I'm paraphrasing because he has he has about eleven po- uh, He has fifteen points just on this one area, and some I I. I took and some I just left. Making physicians seem ridiculous is one. He says a a physician is false if if we can make the person who takes a position seem ridiculous, or can find fault with him and taking, or we or or can find fault with him and some other things. And so some will will make a position seem ridiculous, making a teaching seem ridiculous. For instance, baptism. You know, a person Baptists say when they talk about members of the church, they say, "Well, you better keep the you better keep the water uh, warm. You better keep the baptistry full. Things like that." They make jokes about it. Well, you know, they can joke about it want, but we know baptism is essential because we see it in every act of conversion, only in the Book of Acts, but throughout the Bible, or throughout the New Testament, I should say. Test thinking number seven: making a person seem ridiculous or fault finding. Uh, I think I must have. So let's see here. I think I missed. I skipped one here. A position is false. We can make it seem ridiculous. A position is false. We can make the person who takes the position seem ridiculous. So he has two things: making the teaching or the position seem ridiculous, and then making a person. Now, now notice now. It's, it, what's the difference? Well, now it's a personal attack. You know, this is this is a uh, a, a something that's done in debate sometimes when someone is losing, or they feel like they're losing their grip on the debate. They start attacking the, the 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 person who they're debating. They're no longer trying to prove what they believe the truth. They just start making you know false or rude or hurtful comments towards the person who they're debating. So it's not uncommon. Uh, number eight: the thing is true if it is taught long enough. Well, I mean, yeah, that's a lot of people think. You know, uh, the well, let me put it this way: a thing is true if it is taught long enough. That's what why so many people hold to false ideas because they've heard it all their lives. They've heard that, uh, you know, that Christ is going to come back and reign for a thousand years, and so they believe that because they've heard it a billion times in their denomination. Uh, they believe that uh, in in miracles. When I say miracles, I mean true miracles, not just the province of God, but true miracles today. And so, and on and on it goes because they've heard these things for so long, so it must be true. Number nine: a thing cannot be true if objections can be brought against it. Well, people try to bring, objection, uh, bring objections against baptism. 
They can bring object, objections against the Bible being authoritative and all kinds of things. But that doesn't make either one of those things untrue or false. Number 10, a thing cannot be true unless everyone believes it. You know, uh, you must say this at some... You could also think, say this as, in a way, such like, um, a thing cannot be true because... Or a thing must be true because the majority believes it. Uh, the majority believes in, let's say... Uh, the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if the majority does or not. I'm just generalizing. Or uh, the majority believes that uh, women can preach from the pulpit to a mixed auditorium, to a mixed audience. Well, that doesn't mean it's, it's right. So they cannot be true. One false idea is that they cannot be true unless everyone believes it. Number 11, uh, truth is based on what prominent or intellectual people accept or reject. I've heard people make comments such as, well, you know, this preacher, and they said a person's name, didn't find any problem with it. And my response to that is, so what? You know, who, who cares what someone else believes? If they agree with what the Bible says, great. If they don't, then what, you know, so what? That doesn't mean we, we should follow them. You know, a lot of people have more allegiance to a old-timey preacher than they do to the Bible. They have more allegiance to uh, someone who who's a good speaker, even though he doesn't speak all the truth or the whole truth, than they do to the Word of God. Well, our allegiance should be to the truth. It should be to God and to His Word and not to a person on this earth. So he makes here an excellent point that truth is based that truth. Uh, one false idea is that truth is based on what prominent or intellectual people accept or reject. You know, atheists use this argument. They say that only uh, the educated, the well-educated, understand that, the, that atheism is, is the correct frame, correct frame of mind, the correct belief, and that all ignorant people believe in God, or only ignorant people believe in God. So there's your intellectual side of it and your prominent side of it. You know, I think about the prominent side, too. You think about stepping outside the realm of the church. I think about uh, the brother's name. Not, not, he's not the brother. The person's name, he's in the wheelchair. I think it's Stephen, Stephen Hawking. I get, I get some of their names mixed up, so that's not right. But he's in the wheelchair and he has a disability. Uh, I don't remember what disease it is that's it's affected him. Well, he's well, well known throughout the world. And so he's another way you look at prominent people. And they, they see, well, he's prominent, he's well-educated, and so he doesn't believe in God, so we shouldn't believe in God either because he's so smart. Surely he's, you know, surely he's got it all figured out, right? Okay, talking about using the Bible in our Bible studies, of course, always have a Bible and a spare one with you. Uh, many of us, some of us, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say many of us, but some of us have a Bible on our device. Uh, make sure that you know ahead of time, because I ran, I could have ran to a snag in Fiji, but I didn't because it worked on my phone. But, uh, you know, some devices, for instance, a tablet may allow you to use your, your Bible app without the Internet. Some may not. When I was in Fiji, my uh, tablet... Wouldn't let me, let me use my Bible program without the internet, but on my phone, I can use my Bible app without the internet. 
And so you have to make sure that you you know <laughs> that it's going to work. Uh, if you're not sure, bring one with you. And bring a spare with you. If you have a Bible on your phone, fine. Or a Bible on your tablet, fine. Whatever. Make sure it's going to work where you're at, with or without internet. If that's how you use it. If you use an electronic version. But also bring a spare with you. I don't mean bring a spare device. I mean bring a hard Bible, a hard copy of the Bible with you. Make sure that if you're letting the person use it, make sure it's a version you're familiar with. Or a, not a version you're familiar with. But it's a copy of the Bible you're familiar with. One that's... Uh, you know, you know how you know if you have a Bible you use a lot, you know you know exactly where certain passages are. You can flip through it in just a moment. So make sure it's a copy that you are familiar with. Uh, use a familiar copy and version. Uh, when you do a Bible study, that's not the time to try a different version or use it use a different translation. I, I put the word version, but I don't really like that term. Translation. God's word is God's word, but men's translations aren't always. Perfect. God's word is, but man's translation of it is not. And so, make sure you use a familiar copy or translation when you're when you're doing your Bible study. Uh, make sure you're using a reliable one. Uh, you know, well, there's a lot of Bible translations out there. I don't want to get into that this evening. Make sure uh, you use one that you are familiar with. Let me back up here. I think uh, you have a comment. Raju says here. Uh, if someone believes superstitions from childhood, he or she will almost don't accept the truth, even knowing it is reality. How can we change them? Uh, if someone believes in superstitions, um, I can't think of a superstition right off the top of my head, but we have to make sure, if possible, for instance, uh, depending on what the superstition is, we have to make sure that we use the Bible to show them that we don't try to tell them just ourselves. Uh, for instance, uh, I think about Simon the Sorcerer. You know, he did a lot of things that, that fooled the people, the Bible says, for a long period of time. But when he heard the truth and heard the, the message being taught by Peter, that he followed him, he believed God and followed him. And so we have to make sure, uh, as you says, lots of people in India are, are Hindus. They live in superstitions. Uh you have to make sure, first of all, what I would do, uh, especially if they're Hindus, is, is start with a study. Personally, I would start with a study on looking at how the Bible is God's word and how it is authoritative. And then uh, make sure you have something in your studies that that when you get into decide after you have covered the Bible as God's word, then you get into showing how these superstitions are not true. But I want you know, I wouldn't jump on it right 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 away. But I would uh start with, for instance, authority and how the Bible first the Bible is God's word is God's word, so it's from God. And then talk about how it's authoritative for all that we do and then show you can show decide when you want to deal with that. And you, after you have shown that it is authoritative and it's God's word, then you can show them that uh, those superstitions are contrary to the Bible. And so God has said that those things are not true. And you can show verses. So, Okay, use a familiar copy in version number three. Be familiar with what may be what was called problem passages for others. I don't mean problem passages that we have we struggle with. I mean, passages that, you know, others are going to have issues with. For instance, 
uh, Hindus are going to struggle with probably when Paul is in is is in the Aparagus, I believe. I don't know how that's how you say it correctly. And he sees all the idols. And he talks about how he's going to, he, there's an idol of the unknown God. And he says, today I'll preach to you about the unknown God. They may have a problem with that because they they may see those that situation as being okay that what their people were doing, uh, because of worshiping idols. And so, be just be on guard. If you know what their background is. If they're from a certain denomination, or if they're under, if they're not a member of any congregation, make sure you try to get an idea of what problem passages they may they may have, or problems they may have in their lives. And so, when you get to certain passages, you'll be prepared. Uh, Chuck says here, if a person has an open heart to listen to the word, uh, if a person has an open heart to listen, the word will begin to work in them. Uh, they have to have an open heart. That's right. Before they can be willing to to accept the Bible for what it says. Number four, read scriptures. Do not really quote them during the study. Uh, it's fine to quote them, I think, at certain times, but I wouldn't do it uh, throughout the study the whole time. Uh, the, if you open up the Bible and, and sh- or ask them to turn to a certain book or a certain chapter and verse, or if if they don't know how to get to it, you know, turn to it and ask them just to read this verse or whatever, and that that a lot of times is is a lot more powerful than just simply to to quote a verse, and so just bear that in mind that uh, quoting is not bad, but I want to do it in every single situation. Reading the scriptures or having them read the scripture uh, will really help it kind of sink in a little bit better. Uh, talking about using the Bible, number five, he says, know where uh, the prospect, and excuse the typo here, I'll fix this, know where the prospect stands on the authority of the Bible. Uh, that is, know what they, if they think the Bible is the Word of God, if they don't, then start with that, of course, uh, and then start with, and then go to, you know, is the Bible authoritative? That is, is the do you believe the Bible is all that we, is what we use to, for all that we do? And all what we you know, in our worship, and all those types of things. So know where they where they stand on in relation to the authority of the Bible. Uh, number six, some may become interested when they see what the Bible says about certain matters. Uh, for instance, some may when we're in Fiji, they would you know I had a person ask me several times about uh, homosexual marriage and what you know Obama and what he was putting through you know the court or Congress or whatever. And the laws that we're going through, and and uh, and so I I talked I talked briefly about what he did and how Christians don't shouldn't agree with that. I don't agree with that. And then, but then I also went to the Bible and said, here's what the Bible says about it. And so we don't agree with that because of what the Bible teaches. So certain matters, uh, for instance, like homosexuality, homosexuality, uh, marriage, divorce, fornication. Uh, the relationship between the husband and wife, uh, money issues, helping the poor. The, some of those are some of the areas in which people are going to be interested in what the Bible has to say on those topics. And that can really spur them on uh, to study more. And like I've said before, I, I, I would begin each study, I begin each study with, do you have any Bible questions? And make sure when you do that, you're not trying to act like you have all the answers. Because when they ask about a question, you want to begin answering it by, well, let's turn to this chapter, this book, this chapter, this verse. So make sure it's very clear to them 
that the Bible is answering the question and not you. Uh, number seven, distinguish the difference between the opinions of others and what the Bible actually says. That is, make sure when when they have a question or or a comment or something that you point out what the Bible teaches and how that may, you know, depending on what it is, how their opinion may be the same as the Bible teaches, which is, you know, that's fine. That is what the Bible teaches. It may be interested to see that. But also, if their opinions or the opinions of someone else differs, Show them what the Bible teaches, and they may be willing to to consider changing their opinion, changing their minds. Number eight, emphasize that we are right when we are right with the Bible. That is, that we can only be right in our way of thinking if we are in agreement with the Word of God. Because the Word of God is, is, is breathed out by, the Bible is God's Word, is breathed out by Him, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16. And so we can only be right if we're right with the Bible, if we agree with what the Bible teaches. And so people, people sometimes ask, ask me or ask, they may ask you as well, well, what do you believe? Well, I believe what the Bible teaches, and the Bible teaches this book, this chapter, this verse on this, and this is what the Bible has to say about it. And sometimes they go on, well, what do you believe? Well, that's what I believe. Uh, number nine, it may be, it may in some cases, be proper to give a brief overview, overview of the Bible. Uh, as I mentioned before, with the Bible study method that Stacy Ferguson uses, uh, when he talks about the differences between the Old and New Testament, uh, some of those things are covered in there. Uh, you know, a person doesn't have to know every single thing about the Bible to obey the gospel. They don't have to know every single thing that and understand and grasp every single point of the Old Testament and the New Testament before they can obey and so, because let's be honest, there are people today who still don't grasp the Old Testament, the New Testament, as they should, and so they're still hopefully growing and learning. But he says, he says, and it may, in some cases, be proper to give a brief overview of the Bible. Okay, that brings our class to a close, uh, which I'm kind of glad because I'm still hearing a lot of thundering and lightning out here. Uh, but there are a few comments I wanted to make here before we close. Uh, he says here they will be confused at times. I'm just going. There's just a short little segment uh, that I want to read to you. And he says here it may be necessary sometimes to point out that the context should not be surprised if, when he first begins to study the Bible on the issues which are now under consideration, he may become somewhat confused. That is not peculiar to a Bible study. He says uh, a when a person begins a study of any subject in which he does not have a good background, he will find it confusing. Tell him, or to tell the prospect, to, to persevere to, and, and that gradually the confusion will vanish and he will understand more and more. However, none of us has completely mastered the Bible, so there are some things concerning which all of us uh, are ignorant. And so what he's saying here is they're going to be confused at times. That's not, that shouldn't be surprising. And because there are some things in the Bible that in the Bible even us may be confused about. Uh, do we, for instance, do you understand every single thing is written in the Book of Revelation? Uh, I doubt it. But it doesn't mean that we cannot know enough to obey the gospel and be right inside of God. Uh, you know, some people today I think sometimes act as if unless you understand every single thing in the Old Testament, every single thing in in Revelation, unless you know, you know how how long every single king reigned, how long they were in the wilderness, and this, that, and the other, that you cannot be a proper 
candidate to be a Christian, or they act like that you're, you know, an uh, inferior Christian. Well, you know, that's, that's incorrect, and that's a proper attitude. So we're still learning. If those who are studying are going to learn, and those who are having the Bible studies are going to learn. When you have Bible studies, you're going to learn. All right, that's going to be it for our class this evening.